You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. After the Namunsa keeping you company uh, this evening, and Alhamdulillah, I'm looking forward to a powerful program. It's myself, Shafat Abad Khan, hosting the program with the top checker, Lucalo, on the board. And uh, unfortunately, Abu Bakr Sidat has uh, taken leave, and uh, he'll be back next week. He's on a holiday in Durban. And, uh, well, I spoke to Anwar Qasim earlier on. He's a bit under the weather. And I said, Anwar, you know, you'll have to do a marathon session with me because he's uh, quite all free with politics and uh, also being an economist and a world-class mechanic. So, you know, we'll spend the first half an hour on Muslim news, but we'll talk about politics in general and uh, any other issues that affects our lives. And uh, then uh, we will get into the segment of uh, driving with Anwar Anwar Qasim, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As well as can be, Dr. Shafar. No, alhamdulillah, really, truly appreciate you uh, being with us uh, this evening. And I know I, uh, uh, you know, I already pushed you a little bit, but, uh, you know, Allah bless you for accepting the invitation. And alhamdulillah, as I said, you quite offer with politics. And, uh, you know, if you look around you, Anwar, you know, you, uh, what, uh, what is attracting your attention and uh, what would you like to start the discussion of with her when, uh, when you look at the politics and so forth? You know, when it comes to the politics of the country, I think the first and foremost runner when it comes to politics will be corruption. And in corruptions in all different levels, I would say, I think what affects us personally and directly as a society and as South Africans is a municipal, you know, laid-backness, and, you know, the unforgivable, you know, service, service delivery as such. So I think that affects us. And, you know, I always tell people, name one thing besides the climate and the people of this country that appeals to you. Nothing else does, Brother Shafat. You know, so it's such a broad spectrum when it comes to the politics of this country because stemming from the government itself, I mean, if you had to consider the fact that uh, the first time um, on the first uh, instance, uh, Sula was actually... Um, you know, inaugurated as president, it cost him a billion rands. And now he doesn't want to disclose exactly how much he spent. I mean, really speaking, a person's worth of 6.7 billion, he spends a billion rands to force himself to be elected, knowing that he has done a remarkable, I think, horrible job, really speaking. He's one of the worst presidents we ever had in this country. And he gloats at the people, he gloats at the reporters, uh, at the other politicians, because he doesn't really care. And now he has chosen himself for the second term itself. With obviously no change, we're in a downward, uh, downward spiral when it comes to the politics, comes to the economy itself, we're in an all-time low. So, you know, Barisha Fat, honestly, I'm going to uh, take the same question and push it back at you. You name a topic that we can discuss when it comes to the politics of this country, Alhamdulillah, and let's see where I can share in, because you, you can take any relative, you know, uh, argument. And really speaking, you know, uh, if there's some form of corruption or something is a must in everything in this country right now. No, absolutely, Anwar. And I, I think uh, a very good point to start off will be, uh, you know, when you look at the... Uh, Local government and uh, you know the hard line of politics is uh, the uh, and you know we we need to make a very uh, informed decision here. Getting local government on track will mean you know we have to we'll be reversing some ideological imperatives uh, that are central to the outlook of the ANC. And I know this would include the, the complete abrogation of the politicization and of administration, cadre deployment, and uh, the prof- uh, professionalization. Because if you look at a local government, definitely 
uh, I mean, uh, nine and a half out of ten uh, local governments, or how many they have, Allah Alam, have all failed dismally. And one of the things are being, uh, we talk about them in uh, getting uh, 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 unprofessional people to work in and the cadre deployment. I mean, uh, we just uh, learned now recently that uh, the deputy president has bought himself, uh, uh, you know, with his salary, I don't know how he managed to buy himself a private jet, and then with his salary, uh, he rebuilt the hangar, which cost him another 10 uh, million uh, rands, and so forth. So here yeah, we have uh, the deputy president being compromised. We have Andre Dureta, Pravin Godan. We have uh, all these issues coming through. But Anwar, I want to talk about local government and how, especially look at Ichikweni. They have virtually run our mock. And look at the sewage that's coming through. Look at the potholes on the road. And uh, look at uh, our town. We talk about Springer Beach. A little later on, uh, the Padasha will be addressing the issue. But it's uh, really shocking that uh, how do we put local government right on? Well, because, I mean, you know quite a bit, and you've got a lot of friends uh, that work in uh, the municipalities. No, Alhamdulillah, I've got quite a few friends of mine high up in the hierarchy. And even they really, you know, is, the decision doesn't really come from them. I know the head of law enforcement. I know the head of DSW. I know the head of parks and gardens. You know, they're personal friends of mine. And with all said and done, I think the problem stems from funding. Really speaking, you know, when each province or each municipality is allocated a certain amount of funds, you know, the funds are never received. So obviously, right from the top, you have a problem of funding that goes all the way down to the layman on the street sweeper itself. And then also we need to consider, uh, talking about the local government itself, is the contractor that is hired and what grounds are they really hired? Because obviously these people don't show the qualification or don't have any form of qualification. It's as easy as a burden or tending for a contract. They get the contract and you find them sleeping all the roads to the sides, you know, taking photographs of them or, you know, whatever we can do, really speaking, you know, even shaming them is irrespective of it. It actually holds no water reason being they really don't care, right? So the, the interesting part was not very long ago, a couple of days ago, I was given 16 areas without lights and water. And the irony of this whole thing, Shafat, which a lot of people don't realize, all of the 16 areas that is without water and lights for a number of days at the end, right, is all DA-controlled areas, where the councillors are actually DA councillors. Now, that's also another problem to be issued, because really speaking, you know, you find that most of the ANC areas are fully covered. If they've got a problem, it is dealt simultaneously. But when you're looking at the, uh, the DA-controlled areas, there's always a problem because there's so much of red tape for a councillor to actually pass to get things done. And it's always put on hold. And, I mean, personally, I know the councillor in the Ward 91 area. I know him very, very well. We're on a personal basis, you know. And we chat all the time. And that has been an ongoing issue for him because he happens to be DA. So whatever he wants, he needs to basically beg and plead. And, you know, the, the, the feedback he gets is so regretful. It is such a, a lousy intimidation of who he is because he has to swallow all that day because he has to put up with the, uh, with, with the people of, I mean, Ward 91 itself. Reason being because everyone blames a counselor. But they need to understand also exactly who represents that. Is it a DA? Is it a EFF? Is it a ANC? You know, so areas also plays a very important aspect or role when it comes to who actually controls the areas. Then when it comes to the funding, 
You know, funding has always been a problem in this country. I mean, the other day that our president, you know, with a smirk on his face, stands up and he he announces, you know, um, instantaneously, you know what, from now on we're in a state of disaster. What people don't seem to understand, when he pulled that move in the state of emergency, when he came to the writing and looting, when he did exactly the same when he came to COVID, it gives him the authority to touch the people's pension fund. Now, people don't really understand what is a state of disaster, because if people had to go back and follow the media about two, three months ago, they would have realized our president was asking for $1.3 trillion to get ESCOM right. And in the state of disaster, the speech that he gave, he wants 1.5 trillion. Where did the two trillion come from? You know. So the point of the matter is, it is coming from the top. Shafat, no matter how you sugarcoat it, right? If the top is not, the top brass is not straight. The bottom line here: we have a president, and it's not. I'm showering him with all the blame. The fact of the matter. He's supposed to be an astute businessman. He sat on the board of Anglo-American. He sat on the board of Standard Bank. He he opened the uh, mine uh, union worker, I think, uh, the association when he was 29 years old. So a person with that acumen supposed to have some business knowledge. Here he runs a country of 57 million people, and he knows he's doing a disastrous job of it, yet he persists and pursues it, and he gloats at the people. And the feedback he gets... If anyone had to take the time and listen to any of his speech, he never, ever commits on dates or times. He never commits on monetary factors. He never commits on areas. He vaguely throws things to people or to us out here, South Africans, and we are supposed to swallow it and with a very vague line of no no problem, electricity will be sorted out. So if we look at, consider the, the relapse of our uh, economy itself, Yes, we're in a global recession. Yes, I am tired of everyone talking about COVID-19. You know, it has misplaced. Yes, that is understandable. But South Africa has been in an issue for the last 30 years. And for some reason, we cannot seem to pull ourselves out of the rut we're in at this present moment. So one needs to consider the election. And the other day I was posed a very remarkable good question. If you had to elect a president, who would you elect? And I was terrible because I really don't have a president I would rather uh, wish for to run this country. So, Brother Shafat, you know, it's a, as I mentioned, it's a very broad, broad spectrum you're talking about. And, you know, I think we tend to be a little angry when we discuss certain issues on politics. Reason being because we bear the brunt, and here we have all the presidencies, all the political parties sitting in the luxury of their homes with generators and fuels and finance is covered by the layman out there who is suffering in darkness, who is throwing fridge and feeds the fools of good because of load shedding, you know, because of poor workmanship when it comes to electrical system or power stations, right, and a water system or infrastructure that has totally collapsed, you know. So honestly, you know, as beautiful as this country is, we we actually in a, in a collapse of a beautiful regime, a country that we all forsaken, we all built up, you know, and we are just watching it, uh, watching uh, a country wither away with very little or nothing for us to do. Yeah, well said, Anwar, and I like your passion, uh, the way you uh, talk about issues here. And also, you know, uh, something that I like you to talk of is the culture of non-payment, uh, you know, uh, uh, is a phrase uh, that goes back uh, to the founding of democracy, and it's in Jordan's uh, testimony to the intractability of this problem, Anwar. Time after time, with various uh, permutations, uh, similar to the interventions that are described by, you know, the uh, certain ministers and so forth, government has attempted to barter leniency 
at uh, you know an existing debt uh, for a new culture of uh, payment. But uh, you notice that uh, places like Alexandria, maybe Soweto, and all that, that had great debts when it came to electricity and owing uh, ESCOM, and even some municipalities were owing uh, large amounts of money. And you find that the uh, government has been lenient on them in certain other areas because of demographics have been hard on them and so forth. What is your take on the you know government's uh, leniency on the culture of non-payment, uh, Anwar? You know, the fact of the matter, I think we'll split it in two different sectors, you know. When it comes to non-payment, I mean, if we had to consider, you know, as a society itself with load shedding, and considering that we had an increase of the municipal bill itself by over 200%, I think, in just over two years. So the government is not really losing money. The fact of the matter, there's no service delivery on the aspect of what we are paying for, over 200%, right? And every time we jump into our vehicle, we buy petrol to run our generators, right? The government makes over five rands a litre of the petrol that runs our home. So the second time he makes money on, yet he does not give us lights, he expects full payment for it. Then on the second time when we run our generators, which averages about five to six hundred a day to run an average three-bedroom home, and that is not all the appliances, obviously, because the geyser itself takes about 3,000 watts, right? So that aside, a person needs to understand what about the losses the person has to incur? What about when low chain, when it switched on, the appliances that is blown up? All that there, he creates that on. So when it comes to non-compliance, when it comes to the actual payment itself, I wouldn't blame people, really speaking, if they did not pay the government. Because, I mean, if you look for one, we all pay our rates. You know, because we are homeowners, we pay our rates. We expect our refuse, uh, our refuse to be actually demarcated, you know, removed from our properties at a set period of time. But it's never done. You know, we expect our verges and our hedges to be, you know, cleaned by then because that is the purpose of it. That is never done, right? So everything you look at it. So if you talk about non-compliance of payment to the government, I think, you know, I will actually go for it because it's time they were taught a lesson because the money keeps on rolling to their pockets and nothing seems to be done constructively with the money that is generated from the people, right? When it comes to areas like Soweto, and all the other uh, outlining or settlement areas, we should say. But let's not go too far. Let's go into Spingo Beach itself. Let's go into Dakota where we have a settlement. They have free lights. They have free water. They have a tap running 24 hours a day. Sometimes the plunger is damaged and nobody repairs it. When I pass by, I see it running for days on end. Nobody cares about it. So they have running water. They have free electricity. They actually got, most of us have actually visioned the fact that the Muslim got DSTV footed onto the shacks, as we may call it, right? Alhamdulillah, very good and well for them, right? Because really speaking, it's also a money spinner for them, reason being, because I think they pay 100 or 200 rand for a room in one of these settlements. Right. So obviously you're not going to get payment from them. Reason being because the government gave them free life, he gave them free water. Now suddenly you want to actually impose uh, tariffs on them. So, Shapat, if you have to really, you know, look at it, why is the government never really audited? He's never really audited. Nobody really knows that he makes over five rand a litre on fuel. Nobody knows that in 2018, in one of our previous shows we mentioned, he made over 80 billion that year in 2018 when petrol was still on a low. Right? Where does he utilize that money? That is the only money he can utilize to what he sees or deems fit. Nobody knows. He's never audited. You know, Nobody knows how much it cost him to be the president again in this country. And the same applies for all the ministers across the board. If we look at the Burj Khalifa, I go to Dubai quite often. 
I mean, Zuma's son, Zuma himself, there's so many presidents around the world, especially in Africa, that owned places or apartments in the Burj Khalifa. Now, if you look at the president, his earning per year is 3 million rands. In 3 million rands, if the president earns, the person, you know, in the parliament, the, the speakers get 2.7 million. I mean, that is the, the pay grade. Obviously, they're not qualified for it, but that is the pay grade. And how can you afford, as you mentioned, a private jet, a hangar, and all? It doesn't make sense. So, you know, the first thing what I admired the president when he first became president, he was inaugurated, was the fact that he, he gave a speech, and I'm not really sure, Brother Shafar, if you remember. His first statement was, I want every government official to be audited, starting from me. I'll, I'll never forget his statement. And nothing came of it. Nothing really came of it. So, Brother Shafar, when it comes to non-payment, it goes across the board. You know, um, there's only two, two sets of money left in this country. And I'm not talking about foreign investment because there's none. We owe $4 trillion. So, which means every one rand the economy makes in South Africa, 60 cents goes towards the actual interest of the money that we have borrowed. So, the only money that is existent in this country is the fuel, the levies on the fuel, and the pension fund that is sitting at $3 trillion at the present moment. Yeah, well said, I'm looking at a message on the screen. It says, Anwar Kasim, uh, brilliant indeed, brother. Well done uh, with uh, Brother Shafar Day and yourself. You are a natural to politics. He says, Anwar, uh, talking about Dakota, I can tell you that Dakota has uh, criminal elements from Pakistan to Bangladeshis to Ethiopians to uh, Nigerians uh, to uh, Indians and a uh, name, Mozambicans and uh, whatever you want to name. They all are living in your area, Dakota, Sapingo Beach. And why has it mushroomed from a, a settlement of about 100 to over two, 3,000 people? And it got a beach view, but it's already a criminal haven. Uh, how do you react to that, Anwar? Okay, when it comes to this bus, um, this, uh, the property that we're in discussion with, it's actually owned by Toyota. And... Uh, funny enough, the laws of the country dictate that until a shack or a, uh, whatever dwelling is not as roof height, you know, they can demolish it. But once the roof is installed, you find that you cannot demolish it. And that is why there's a growth when it comes to all the settlement areas. Generally, the SAP or, or the Metro, they have people that actually, you know, um, uh, uh, snitch on these people. You know, and they get, a, I, I suppose, a, a kickback on money because the moment a person evicts, and a, you'll find these people are generally erecting these so-called shacks in the middle of the night when nobody's really around or nobody nobody gets them into trouble. You know, so with that being said, when it comes to the diversity of the population group or the racial group that we have in in those areas. I think the same goes for all the different settlements. I mean, we need to understand also, once again, we will blame the government openly because initially Mandela himself actually said free jobs, free this, free that, free medical aid, I mean, free hospital, free education, free everything, you know. So people from the farms came into the urban built-up areas, you know, in the, in the thought of, you know, having everything free. For the first time, they'll be working in urban built-up areas. They promised free housing. They promised everything was free. And obviously, if we were from a, a background that was so impoverished, obviously we want to go and, you know, our parents will make us venture into something like this. And all these people came from rural areas. And obviously, they all settled around built-up towns, built-up areas. And that is why we have uh, an influx and a growth 
of the amount of settlements that we have around these areas. So once again, it is the government's fault. They should have actually did something when they realized it was fighting out of control. But the reason the government will never do that, because that is where the majority of the votes come from. You know, you can't bite the hand that actually feeds you. So obviously, as long as it's in our area, it's not in front of the presidential palace, I would put it, right? It doesn't affect them. You know, that is what people need to understand. I mean, these people are generally in the floods time, in the uh, rights time. The people of Springer Beach look after them. In, and that same goes for every area. The government didn't step in and look after any of the settlement dwellers. We did. The society itself in that area did. You know, so you know, once again, I will openly and blatantly blame the government for the influx and the rise of all the settlements flourishing. So in other words, the Toyota can't do anything. Uh, uh, I mean, we talk about the illegal, uh, perhaps immigrants uh, that are living uh, amongst uh, the, uh, you know, informal settlements. Uh, we talk about the Mozambicans, uh, the Zimbabweans, the Nigerians. Uh, I also believe that the Pakistanis are living there with the Bangladeshis and so forth. How do they manage to live together like that, Anwar? I, I suppose there's a certain amount of truth, you know. I believe that you're amongst your own when you're amongst people, you know. So somehow or the other, they adapt. And you, you find very little of in-house fighting because somehow all becomes family. So I don't think that a force of problem. When it comes to the illegal immigrants, I remember doing a show a few years ago with you. And at that time, undocumented uh, immigrants was something like 2 million in South Africa. That was undocumented. But one needs to also understand, it cost the taxpayer hundreds of thousands of rands to deport people. I think the last time, a few years ago, it was averaging at 48,000 rand a person. You know, by the time you keep them in holding cells, by the time you get the paperwork done, by the time you extradite them. So all that costs taxpayers money. So now, obviously, our government doesn't have the money or the funds to actually deport anybody. So what he does, he turns a blind eye to it. And we are once again left with the influx of the people. So unfortunately, Brother Shafat is a no-win situation, no matter what models of the government we talk about. You know, it's obviously going to be a no-win situation. I can't really the segment with you. You're absolutely... Brilliant. But we're going to go for a short break, and when you get back, people, it will be driving with Anwar. Let's go do some shopping.